<clears throat> you know, some of us fall into this incredible rut without even realizing it. Sometimes it happens in our childhood. Sometimes some message will be on repeat to us. Some irresponsible adult, whether on purpose or by accident, whether by assault or just in their own brokenness, they'll seed some sort of thought into us that we begin playing ourselves, like somebody who may call you dumb. And then you start singing that tune too. Sometimes it just happens one time, but it's at such an indelible moment in your life that you become the echo to it for decades to come, and you just believe it. And you create some sort of atmosphere around yourself, and you, you live into a narrative that you repeat yourself over and over again. Now, I don't know that I necessarily am endorsing this movie, but I love it. I'll go ahead and say it. It was a movie called The Help. And uh, one of the main characters on it, she worked in someone's home as a housekeeper and somewhat of a nanny, I suppose. And uh, the mom was just disengaged from her toddler daughter. At best, you could say she was disengaged. And this wonderful home worker kept telling this little girl the same message over and over again. You is kind, you is smart, and you is important. She was trying to create a narrative that that little girl could grip, grab a hold to that would be counter to the narrative that she was being told in so many other ways. If I could say there's one thing that disappoints me in what I'll call the average evangelical life is our failure to, or our reticence, maybe it's not a failure, our reticence to speak blessing and to speak praise and to speak blessing out loud even when no one's around, even when it's just you and God. Because we need, we need to shift the atmosphere in our own realm. We just do. We need to create a kind of narrative that agrees with God. That's really important. I mean, you know, you can agree with God that you're a sinner, but you also need to agree with God that he sent a Savior. You can agree with God that you're kind of hopeless, but also agree with God that he overcomes hope. I'm not saying do that sort of false pep, pep talk stuff that people do all the time. If you're somewhere around my age, you'll remember the character on Saturday Night Live, Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley would say things like, you're smart enough, you're good enough, and doggone it, people like you. He would say it into the mirror. The truth was, nobody liked Stuart Smalley. He was just trying to convince himself. I'm not saying to get a false narrative of, you know, positive thinking. I'm, I, I'm not that guy. I'm saying get a truth narrative that you preach aloud so often that you begin to live into it more than the other messages. In today's passage in, in Jude, the last couple verses of Jude, Jude uh, verses 24 and 25, what we see that's really interesting to me is after all of these very heavy warnings, these very heavy stories that come with very heavy uh, consequences, very heavy engagements from God, what does he say? He says, now to him who's able to keep you. In other words, there's so much to stumble over, but let's commit ourselves to the one who's able to keep us from falling. Let's commend the one 
is going to keep us from falling. I would like to see this doxology become the norm in our self-speak and in our praise. So let's, let's just start with the reading. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Join me as we pray. Kind and gracious God, King and Father, glorious, majestic Father. We see ourselves in our best of days, both as we truly are and as you could make us. We see ourselves as sinners born under the curse. We also see ourselves as your children, reborn by the curse breaker. But Father, more than anything, give us a vision for you. For you are more, far more, than any and all of these negating factors combined. Father, if your name was but... It would be just. For when my heart fails me, my enemies assail me, I can say, but God is for me in Christ Jesus. In him I pray, amen. The dictionary defines a doxology as an expression of praise to God, and it's often, doxologies are often given to us in song. Very common. You know, we even have one song we call the doxology. And it's not the only doxology, it's just probably the most famous one in the English language. I always like looking words up. Doxology is put together by two Greek words. Doxa meaning glory or splendor or grandeur. And logos meaning the word or speaking. So you put them together, it is speaking grandeur, speaking majesty, speaking glory. So in beholding God, a doxology, a doxology is appropriate. Now, I don't know how many of you guys will admit this, but how many of you guys know who Eric Clapton is? Okay, most of you sinners. Um, <laughs> we had this, this song, and I really like it. Uh, you look beautiful tonight, you look good tonight. Uh, I, was just, I was just seeing who really knew. I also am a bit concerned why you winked at me when you said that. If you've ever really listened to the song, they're on their way to, to a date, to a function, and he tells us she looks wonderful. They're at the function. He tells us she looks wonderful. They get home. He says, you are wonderful. He actually switches up from looking to being. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, that's just smart romance, boys. It's just smart romance. You want kisses in the evening, yeah, you better be planting compliments in the morning. 
It's just facts. Truth is, whenever you see something worth praise, praise it. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? If anything is praiseworthy, think about that. If anything's so, this, although the word doxology is nowhere in the Bible and it's not in this passage, this is a doxology. Facing all the horrors that New Testament Christians have to deal with the wolves in sheep clothing, the, 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 all the heresies and heretics, the destroyers of our faith, those who would ravage our soul and kill our spirit. You can, you can just sort of get, you know, sort of spiritually paranoid and sort of live with your spiritual 45 in your hand all the time. Like, man, this, this world's nuts. And it feels like it's coming at me, you know. So how does Jude end this? He says, now to him. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Great, I see a minefield out here. I see an obstacle course filled with mines. But I've got someone who's greater than the mines, greater than the obstacles, more knowing than what I don't know. More fierce than what can kill me. So what does Jude do? He sings the doxology. A lot of people will tell you this is a benediction. It's not. It's not. Why do I point that out? A benediction goes from God to you. A benediction, like in Numbers chapter 6, for example. Uh, Numbers 6, uh, 24 and following. It's in the bulletin. Is the last uh, thing uh, on the left-hand side, inside cover. That's a benediction. From God over you. A doxology is from us up to God. Amen. And if we can ever get a proper view of God, there will flow from our lips a lot of doxologies. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But I'm not going to front. Uh, I got two sermons tonight. I'm going to preach them both. You ready? You might as well say y'all because I'm going to do it anyway. Catherine's got snacks. Come down and see her. Or at least I wager she does. There she does. Excuse me, River has snacks. There are two things that are happening here that are worthy of our attention. There's this one that I'm introducing up front. This need to recognize who God is and to speak it. To speak it because he's worthy and to speak it because you need it. You need it. But there's something else going on here that is worth our attention. We see what the theologians would call Deep doctrines for the preservation of the saints, or as some people would call it, eternal security. I want to start out with a few thoughts on eternal security, and then I want to go to the greater message, speaking blessing to God in doxological form. What is eternal security? It means you can't lose your salvation. Let me give it to you in Tim terms which means it's real simple. If salvation can be lost, it's not eternal because nothing's lost in eternity. If I can lose it, it means it is temporal because I'm temporal. If I can work my way out of being saved, it was me who worked my way into that salvation. Illustrate that real simply. If I could get back on the dock, it was me who fell in. It's not just saving a drowning man. It is making life from a dead corpse. That's salvation. And the dead don't raise the dead. If I could lose my salvation, it was me keeping up with it. If I could ever save me, I never needed God. 
And if I could keep my salvation, I don't need God. See this simple logic? That's from me. If you look in your bulletins, I put Article 5, Paragraph 2 of the Baptist Faith and Message, which I found the most succinct paragraph on this issue. Kudos to the writers. You look along as I read it out loud. You read it quietly. as I want you to see how succinct this is. The words are heavy. All what? True believers endure to the end. We know there's a such thing as false believers. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere until the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. I'll hold up to you the greatest example that I know from the scriptures in the quickest way I can. Lot, the man Lot, walks off the pages of the Old Testament. This is so gross, but I got to tell the story having just impregnated both of his daughters. Ugh. And then in the New Testament, it says, righteous lot, oppressed by the sexual sin of his day. Wow. You tell God was in charge of writing the Bible, because I would have said, we hung lot. That would have been the end of the story. We hung lot from a tree right outside of town. Pert. Who held Lot together when Lot could not hold himself together? It was God. Lot ruined his testimony. Lot ruined his family. But Lot couldn't ruin his salvation. Isn't that interesting? Now, the Bible says a lot. If you'll allow me, I'm not going to put it on the screen because if I do, I'll start commentating on it rather than just reading it. Let me run through a few verses. You might want to jot these down and check them out later. Here's some of what the Bible says about eternal security or perseverance of the saints. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 27 and following, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You hear that? Three affirmations. Three, eternal life, never perish, no one snatches. Verse 29 of that passage, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, probably a passage I quote a lot. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 13 and following. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Pause. Y'all not going to believe this. I used to play tennis. And at the time, the only place you could buy tennis balls in Roxborough was this place called Roses. And uh, to me, feeling rich was going and buying new tennis balls. You know my favorite thing about buying new tennis balls? The sound the top made when you opened it. 
And I like that smell. I would open it near my nose. And I said, oh, these tennis balls are fresh. Because we're sealed, you see this, it means you'll arrive in heaven fresh in Jesus. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> you like that, don't you? Yeah, they're going to open the can on you in heaven. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews says in a couple different spots, Hebrews 7.25 being one, consequently he is able to say to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, this is speaking of Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I threw that one in there because he saves and maintains. Saves and maintains. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is critical. He saves, he sustains, and he stays in fellowship. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all, they, excuse me, became plain that they all are not of us. I had the strangest thing happen to me today. Uh, I literally opened my van door long enough to grab my jacket. And when I came back to my van, I thought there was a bird in my van. It was the most awful sound being made, and I couldn't find it for nothing. After I almost pooped on myself, I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's, I'm driving down the road, and <laughs> I thought a baby pterodactyl was getting ready to eat my head. I mean, I really didn't know what it was. I pulled my van over. I couldn't find anything. Two hours later, I'm out of my van, back into my van. It happens again. I still hadn't found it. Finally, I'm going down the road late this afternoon, and this thing just hit my windshield from the inside. <laughs> and it was quite possibly the largest cicada I've ever seen in my life. I don't even know. That dude was like this. I don't even know when and how he got in there. I think he was born in there. I think we were on vacation just long enough that he had found like a condo. And this is my van and. That thing scared me to death. You say, what's this got to do with anything? He did not continue with us because he was not part of us. He did not leave on his own, but he got separated by the hand of the one who had dominion over the Toyota Sienna. Now, everything, everyone has an eternity. I'm telling you, I don't know where he started, but he's somewhere in Prospect Hill now. It's going to be like that, folks. Not everybody who starts with God ends with God, and that means they never really were with him. You know, people have told me they're having a revival, and people will think I'm being a jerk when I say, we'll see. I've learned not to say, when somebody says, I gave my life to the Lord, I just say internally, we'll see. Not being a smart aleck at all. We all have some calls when we look in the mirror to say of ourselves, am I real? Fair enough? But what I find really encouraging is John says, I write these things that you might know. In other words, God knows we're going to lack confidence. We're going to struggle. Somebody say amen. Anybody here ever struggle besides me? He wants you to know. He wants you to have confidence. So this eternal security stuff is a big deal. Now, don't worry, I'm going to move on very quickly and very fast in, in just a moment. 
But let me give you five things to think about before I move to the second portion. People often lack assurance of their salvation. I ask myself, why? How can I explain this? What are some of the reasons? I've come up with, I've come up with six, but I'm going to give you a list of five and say something a little different about the sixth one. I'm going to go through my list. Number one, faulty understanding of the fact that it is God who does the saving. A lot of people are convinced they're saving themselves. I did this. So then later on, when you sort of switch up emotionally or you can't maintain that work you were doing, you start to lose your confidence. Well, it should have never been in you to start with. It should have only ever been in God. Somebody say amen. Secondly, faulty methods of assurance at the time of the salvation, such as works or morality or special giftings or event-based uh, things that lose their emotional kick after some time. What kind of works could I mean? All kinds. Sometimes it's just people are convinced that their, their baptism is what saved them, and then later on they don't feel so good about themselves, and they say, well, i got to go get another baptism. It must not have worked. Thirdly, doubt that God can or will keep his word. Now, here's the one I struggle at. I don't doubt God on the basis of who God is or what he said. I get to looking at me, and I say, man, when's he going to get sick of me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because I know me, and I don't even know me as clearly as God knows me, and I don't really approve of me all that much. I mean, I got the best wife, best for me, wife in the world, convinced of that, best one for me. And some days I think, man, she ought to quit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you look at yourself, you say, why is this person sticking with me? It's not on my merit. They're saying something about who they are, but they keep hanging in with me. That's why I hung our marriage license over our bed. I want her to see every day. I've got papers on you. You can't run away. <laughs> Fourth, lack of proper teaching on, on the uh, expectations of the Christian life or the glorious nature of God. Poor teaching will unseat a lot of people from confidence in their, in their salvation. And here's a big one. A lot of people get to wondering about God because of the presence of sin in their life. Sin will drive out faith. Sin will drive out faith. That's why you get books like Hebrews. The whole thing's about y'all are falling away because you took your eyes off God. Because your eyes are on you, your eyes are on the danger. That's why you got books like James. James pulls no punches. He's like, yeah, you better get your life right. But there's this sixth one I want to bring up. And I don't want to read the passage, but I do want to give you the reference. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 13. There's something that's put forward. There's something that's put forward here that needs to be considered. Some people can't take any pressure, any. We have become, in my humble opinion, humble opinion, a very weak culture, very soft. People can't take criticism. They, they can't take any pushback. You don't believe me? Just go home and write your exact opinion on social media about COVID-19. I don't care what it is, you're going to get pushback. You can say, I would like a COVID-19 lollipop. And somebody going to go off on you. And people start being mean. They just fold under the pressure. Now, why do I say that? We're so busy running all the time that a lot of times our culture has created in us a deaf ear toward the father's chastisement. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13, it boils down to this idea. If you are his child, he will chasten you. He will chasten you. Somebody say amen. We was in this store in Montana a couple weeks ago, and this kid, had like intent, I was watching him. They had knocked like three things off the shelf on purpose. And this lady who worked in this store, and it was this, it was this bougie you know, grocery store, she comes up to me and she says, sir, is this your child? And I said, mm-mm-mm. If that had been my child, that would look like they was, you know, levitating because I'd have had them up by the earlobe walking out the door. That would have been. <laughs> you knew it wasn't my kid. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You knew it wasn't my kid. Not because I'm that good, because I, I, I just I, I said, hey, buddy, stop doing that. Hey! <laughs> That's when I start speaking in tongues for real myself. And why I order? <laughs> yeah, so that's sermon one. The assurance of our salvation is a really needed topic. Why don't you lack assurance if you if you don't? I, I told I just simply confess to y'all what mine is. I look at me sometimes and I wonder if God's gonna give up on me. I look at myself as a pastor sometimes. I wonder if y'all going to give up on me. No joke. I got friends that I wonder, like, because sometimes I'm, I'm kind of a, like, um, I don't know of a polite way to say it. I'm abrasive. Is that a, is that a fair word? Michaela's shaking her head. Okay, thanks, Michaela. Oh, yes. There's all kinds of impolite ways. And I, I wonder, you know, you know, sometimes I answer one, do I have a friend that can take the real me? So it's really easy for me to make that jump to God. Will God keep loving me? I struggle with this too. So I really encourage, by the way, Jude 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's not on me. But as I enjoy the Father, I sure do want to join in on what he's doing. Second sermon, and the one that's in your outline, and we'll go very, very quickly, well, in relative to who's speaking. Five big ideas on speaking doxology in your life. You ready? Five big ideas. Now, I'm not going to say this over and over again, so watch me. Listen, listen to me with your eyes for a second. I, when I say bless, I mean exaltation within, with your affections, loving God with your affections, stuff that people will never see, marveling, loving, uh, being in the Rocky Mountains last week made a lot of that burst forth in my heart to, you know, to think about that verse that says, he made the earth with his fingertips. I was just like, oh yeah, God carved that mountain. Intellectually. Okay, intellectually, thinking those thoughts verbally. I'm not going to say that every time. Affections, intellect, speech. Bless God. We, we bless our God because he has the power to enable us to persevere. Go back to verse number 24, the first half of it. We look at all these obstacles in the previous 23 verses, and he had already told us, I wanted to write to you guys about our common salvation, but I, I need, I need to tell you about all this other stuff. And Jude has been calling us 
through this deep and heavy responsibility to watchfulness and carefulness and diligence. But now he says, don't worry. It's not all on you. Now, who's heard this saying? Raise your hand up and keep it held up for just a moment. All right. Who's heard this saying? God won't give you more than you can handle. Who's heard that? Who believes that? Keep your hand up. All right. I don't. You will give you more than you can handle. You don't believe me? Go shopping for, for a week's worth of groceries and try to carry them all in the house at one time. This is a prosthetic pinky. I lost it in 1997. It's bags wrapped. Okay, y'all catch up with that. You will give yourself before noon enough sin to put you in hell. It's like that prayer. The guy wakes up. Starts his day, and he prays to God. He says, God, I'm doing pretty good. Haven't cussed anybody out. Haven't said anything crazy to my wife. Uh, I haven't been a bad employee. On and on and on he goes. And then he concludes his prayer. He says, but in a couple minutes, I'm going to get out of this bed. <laughs> I'm going to need all the help I can get. <laughs> right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You will give you more. Hallelujah. You will not give God more than he can handle, and God will not give you more than he can handle. God may even let you get martyred for the faith. But as Andrew was reminding us, exhorting us earlier, he has the power over life and death. If he lets you die, it's not something he can't handle. Somebody say amen. Now, I, I'm not going to do it. Everybody remain calm. Remain seated and keep your belts on. I would love to walk through the Psalms. I gave you one at the opening. I would love to walk through the Psalms and show you all the places where David is, or, or the psalmist, it's a lot of times David, but it's other people, who are praising God that they were about to slip, about to stumble, or had fallen, and God kept them from slipping, kept them from stumbling, or recovered them from falling. It's all over the Psalms. Here's some examples. Psalm 38, verse 16, David says, May they not rejoice over me who, when my foot slips, would magnify themselves against me. He says, I know I'm going to fall. But Lord, don't, go, don't let it go so far that they rejoice over me. Chapter 66, verse 9, Who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. Psalm 73, 2, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Psalm 91, 12, they will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 94, 18, if I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Over and over again, the psalmist rejoices that we cannot stumble past God's ability to recover us. So you look at all this scary world, and Jude says, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Secondly, we bless our God because he has the power to make us stand blameless before him. This is a big, big deal. Big, big deal. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there was these little girls near, near us while we were working recently. 
and uh, we were painting, and I said, stay out of that paint. I want to paint. Stay out of the paint. I went around the corner. I came back. One of the little girls had paint from here down to the heel of their sandal. I said, you been in that paint? Nope. Did you lean against that wall? Nope. Lying like a dog, right? Just lying. I was like, look at that paint on you. It failed. I'm like, from where, heaven? I mean, you know, I'm trying not to laugh because I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be. Hey, you know, come on now. Let's be chastised. They're already blameless. How can God keep us? How can God make us stand blameless? There's power in the blood. Look at what he says here, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. It's like showing up in court knowing you're guilty. Knowing you're guilty. But you get in front of the judge, and, and, and you're standing in Jesus. And he goes, well, I can't blame you now. You go, woo, I'm off. But you got paint all down the side of you. Three, we bless our God because he's the only God and is the only Savior. Just for the count, sake of speed, if you, if you remember when we were teaching through Ruth, remember there were three, three requirements for the kinsman redeemer? Who remembers those? First, they have to be someone you're related to. Secondly, they have to be able. And thirdly, they willing. Look how many people remember that. Look at what he's saying here. To the only God, all right, the only one, our Savior, the only one who meets all the criteria. And it's good because he's the only one able anyway. It's good because he's the only one willing anyway. If a tree were a God and a tree had to be consumed to save you, then in saving you, you would have no friend left in salvation. Jesus was consumed, defeated death, and we still have a friend in salvation. So the Savior also sustains if a rock had to be crushed to save you, then what you have is a pile of gravel. You don't have the rock. On and on and on. You see the metaphors. Fourthly, we bless our God because he saves us by the life and work of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says here. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, it is Jesus. It is Jesus Jesus is the only acceptable offering, and so we should bless God that he has sent someone who is able and willing. And fifthly, we bless God because he's worthy. Honestly, this is like one of those baptized things. I mean, why should I get baptized? Because Jesus said get baptized. <laughs> Wait, I need an emotional answer to that. Nope. <laughs> Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Reason. Why do I take the Lord's Supper? Because Jesus said take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> right? Don't need to get real philosophical about that. And every time you do this, do it. What? How, church? <laughs> See, we know. If you didn't have any other reason to bless God, you bless him because he's worthy. Come on now. You bless him because he's worthy. So Jude says, listen, you're out here in the minefield of life, but bless God. Now, commit yourself to God. Now, commit yourself to the one who's able, the one who is full of glory. 
To, to him be the glory. The one who is full of majesty, to him be the majesty. The one who has dominion, to him be the dominion. To the one who has authority, to him be authority. Before all time. In other words, before we got here, you already had all this stuff. Recognize it and speak grandeur. We don't need any other reason. He is worthy. I'll tell you, Andrew, what I enjoyed is we were singing from First Chronicles, you know, and I just stopped singing at some point. You know why? I was just loving it. I just wanted to listen. I don't know who was behind me. I, don't, I mean, I know who's behind me. I can see y'all. Y'all sounded great. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I was like, man, this is awesome. He's worthy. So you're facing a minefield of life. What do you do? Create a culture where you bless God in all circumstances because he's worthy. Because Jesus came for you. Because he's the only God who is able and willing. And, and, and do it, brothers and sisters, because he's the one who has the power to make you stand blameless before him. And do it, brothers and sisters, because he is able to keep us in spite of ourselves. Two sermons. Now two closing thoughts. One, by his work on the cross, Jesus obtained our salvation. And by his work in heaven, he maintains our salvation. I want you guys to lock in on that. By his work on the cross, he what? Obtains our salvation. By his work in heaven, he maintains or sustains. Pick it. I want you to get, so to get it and to keep it, who do you got to go through? I, I rarely ever tell Andrew to sing a song, but I almost got you to sing that one from Acts, Andrew. You know, um, no other name under heaven proclaim whereby we might be saved. And we get to that part, my favorite part is where we just yell Jesus over and over again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So if it's of him, it's not of us. So we can't get it without him. And if he is sustaining and maintaining it, we can't keep it without him. Where should the focus of our doubt and anxiety be laid? On Jesus. Because he's our hope. Second closing thought. If we are experiencing doubt in our salvation, and I've already told you I struggle at times with that. I told you. If you think I'm trying to beat you up, then I'm not. I just really do wonder some days when God's going to get sick of me. I saw a couple of you nodding your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I'll never forget, Andrew, you told that story about, like, one of your boys had done something to make you really angry, but you said, I didn't kick them out of my home. I didn't make them leave my family. That's encouraged me many times. Like, hey, Andrew's a pretty cool dad. God's a way better dad than Andrew. Amen. So, but I needed that little illustration. I've just anchored into it so many times. Because my dad did chase me away from home. And it created this kind of narrative where you wonder, what have I got to do to stay here? I needed you to point out to me every fearful pitfall. And I needed you to come along and say, hey, bud. Your daddy's got you. But if you're doubting your salvation, could I give you some critical questions for you to mull over with the Holy Spirit? 
Today, do you believe the gospel and trust Jesus? He obtained, he sustains. Like if you're, if you're looking at your works, probably have evidence that you stink. If you're like looking at your attitude, you're like, yep, not so good. Secondly, do you experience remorse over sin? I mean, is it easy for you to shrug off sin, rut row, excuse it, adopt it? Mm. Okay, this is a tough one. Have you any desire to please God? Do you see evidence of fruit in your life? Does the Holy Spirit witness to your spirit that you are a child of God? That's Romans 8 stuff. When you sin, do you experience the discipline of the Father? See, this, 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 it's a lot of crowds in our culture that dismiss things offhand and say God's cool with it. When he's already said, I'm not cool with that, that always indicates something to me. Newsflash. Newsflash. God's not cool with gluttony. You know, in other words, I'm grabbing a mirror here. It's easy to look out a window. It's hard to look in a mirror. He's not cool with gluttony. And boy, howdy, don't I know it. I'm not arguing with him about the truth of it. I'm arguing with him about the application. My goal in bringing these things out is not to unsettle anyone needlessly. But if we are living in some sort of spiritual apathy, the spirit would like to confront us. I think of Revelation in the church at Laodicea, where he says, you guys don't see yourself. You're pitiful. You, you, you know, you're, you're, you're poor, you're pitiful. It's like five things. I'm only remembering three. I'm right. And one of them is, and you're naked. So you don't even see that you're naked. You know, could you imagine walking around and you, you think you're clothed and someone makes you realize you're naked? We were at a hotel the other day and I walked and the doors didn't lock unless you really pushed them. And so I thought I was going to my room, which I had intentionally not shut all the way. And it was the next door neighbor's room. And the lady was just sitting there. Oh, yes. I was mortified. Thankfully, she was like having a muffin, fully dressed. Praise Jesus. And I just came and sat down in my room like this. And I heard her slam that door. <laughs> she accepted my apology. Everything's, I'm not under a lawsuit or anything. But. I think in the moment, both of us felt exposed. I felt exposed by my error, and she felt exposed by my error. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit confronts the church at Laodicea, he says, listen, listen, listen. You don't see yourself of what you are, but come get my riches. Come get my white robes. See, the, 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 God's going to confront you because he wants to make you rich, and he wants to make you lovely, and he wants you to live covered in him, lavished upon by him. So I would not unsettle the people of God needlessly. But if any of us are struggling with the surety of our salvation, we need to look to him who is able to keep us to the last. We need to stand against the wiles of the devil who cannot steal our salvation, but would steal the joy and fruit of it.
And sometimes that means we got to face facts and see ourselves the way God does. Good news. When God does expose you, his goal is to bless you. So you feel triggered by any of these inventory type statements. You bring them to Jesus because he's obtained your salvation. He's sustaining your salvation. And he will put you under his wings, heal you, and set you aright. Maybe you realize you don't even know him. Today's your day. Or could be. If you believe that those works he did to obtain the salvation, that he will grant his righteousness to you, because he will. Come unto me, all you weary, and I'll give you rest. Believe on his works. Receive him as Lord. The Bible says you'll be saved. Then we take God at his word that Jesus is enough, and he's enough for me. Let's pray. Father, in the deluge of my words, water those dry places in each of us where we know that the God of the universe is speaking. We know who is confronting us and who is comforting us and help us to receive from you. Now, God, as we sing, you speak. In Jesus we pray, amen.